Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, um, this is class seven, I believe, uh, of our 2021 Truth to Happiness Dhamma study. This class is on the three marks of existence. Uh, in Pali, that's Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha, or impermanence, the not self characteristic, and Dukkha. Uh, and Dukkha uh, results as a consequence of misunderstanding the first two aspects of these three marks understanding and misunderstanding impermanence not knowing what a what truly constitutes a human being and because of that ignorance which is also known as ignorance of four noble truths we create great stress and suffering in our lives individually and both as we can see right now planet wide um, so you you've all read the chapter um, many of you for the third fourth fifth or sixth time uh, I trust you've all done your homework and so I'm not going to read much out of the out of the book. Uh, I'm going to read uh, a beginning quote uh, to kind of set the uh, the background and in a direction, and then just give a a, a a general talk on on these three things. Um, one of the reasons is that right after we are done this sangha, when we're yeah, done, you're muted. I'm muted. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, so, uh, class seven of our 2021 Truth to Happiness Dhamma study. Um, how did you know to come out of meditation? <laughs> I woke up. I'm sorry about that, everyone. You're not supposed to sleep, Rom. Well, it's a, it's a good thing Rom keeps his eye on me because the, 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 the dog was getting agitated. I thought he was about to bark, so I clicked the thing and I forgot to open it up again. So, sorry about that. I think uh, Brahm meant Buddhist awakening, not. Like <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. Uh, so you're all with me. Everybody's okay. Uh, this is class seven of our 2021 Truth to Happiness Dhamma study. This class is on the three marks of existence. Uh, in the Pali, that's Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha. Uh, Anicca means impermanence. Anatta means the not self characteristic, and Dukkha means the stress and suffering that follows from misunderstanding what a human being is, what actually constitutes a self. Again, the Buddha never taught that there's no self. He simply taught that we don't know what a self is. And that self, in relation to the impermanent nature of the world that we live in, uh, creates that great stress and suffering. Uh, so you've all read the chapter, uh, many of you for the third, fourth, or fifth time. Um, I realize that Adam and Steve have probably the first time they've read this. Uh, but So I'm not going to read the chapter. I'm just going to read a beginning quote by the Buddha uh, to lay the background and the direction and then just give a brief talk um, on, on these three marks of existence. Uh, one of the reasons is that right after we're done with this Truth to Happiness Dhamma study, we're going to um, redo the uh, Vipassana structured study that we did last year. So that's a, a 32 class uh, structured study of these three marks and it goes in depth. Uh, those of you that have uh, went through this last year, you'll realize, I mean, you remember how, how powerful it was. Um, let me, somebody wants to come in. Let's see who it is. And I think it's Matt. 
Is that you, Mateo? Yeah, hello. I'm hey. <laughs> it's good to see you again. How are you? All good, all good. What about you? I'm, I'm good. Uh, I was just introducing the class, and if I could, just uh, uh, just for Mateo's sake, we're at the, in the seventh class of this uh, 2021 study based on my book, The Truth of Happiness. And so this class is on the three marks of existence, or Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha. Uh, and I'm just going to read a, an introductory quote by the Buddha and then give a general talk. The understanding, I tell you, is that, that most of us have read the chapter. And I believe you have the book, Truth and Happiness? Yeah, yeah I, I did all the course already, like, months ago. Yeah, so you're, you're, you'll be right with us. Um, okay. Excuse me for a moment. So, let me start with this. The Buddha's words. And the, the, the Buddha's speaking about the essence of his dhamma why he taught what he taught, and, and what it relates to in practical human terms. The Buddha's words, Be mindful of impermanence to end conceit. That is the essence of the Dhamma. And another word for conceit is, a self is maintaining a self-referential ego personality built on a fabricated or an, a, a view ignorant of Four Noble Truths. Be mindful of impermanence to end conceit. When impermanence is understood... It is also understood that none of this is self. That's a reference to the Buddha teaching us that none of this is self, meaning nothing in the world, nothing that occurs in our life is self. None of, nothing is to be taken personal because it has nothing to do with us. It's simply phenomena arising and passing away. Just as our breath arises and passes away, just as our feelings and thoughts arise and pass away, I'm relating to the four foundations of mindfulness, just as the people in our lives arise and pass away, just as mountains arise and pass away, just as universes arise and pass away, there's a continuation of consciousness that if it, if it is rooted in, in understanding of Four Noble Truths, is simply a reference point to all of those things that are occurring. None of this is self. Understanding not-self Understanding what this is, what it actually means to be a human being, understanding not-self uproots conceit. It uproots eye-making. When fully established, release is complete. So again, this is the essence of the Dhamma. What is the release that the Buddha is talking about? Release from fabricated views. Release from that third mark of existence, dukkha. Self-imposed stress and suffering. Because as we develop the Dhamma, we understand the true nature of a human being, the true nature of self, and we understand the impermanent nature of all things. Excuse me. An important aspect of impermanence is uncertainty. Since all things are impermanent, we can never be certain of anything. But a fabricated ego personality insists on establishing itself in a permanent way, meaning establishing itself in surety of what's going to occur. And so the first time we establish ourselves in surety, this is my brand new red bicycle, and something happens to that brand new red bicycle, we've lost our surety in the world. We've lost our confidence in the world. We've lost, lost our confidence in ourselves and the world. And the reference to the, to the shiny new red bicycle may seem silly, but we do that with everything. Whatever we attach ourselves to, whatever we create an identity by or through, and insist that that's us, we also insist on establishing that 
concept as permanent. And this is why we create fabulous and fantastic fabricated ideas about what happens to the self after we're dead. That's why we create all these fabricated mystical realms. That's why most of modern Buddhism is based on what you will achieve after you're dead rather than what you understand about being a human being because we've taken that first false step, step of establishing a fabricated self, trying to establish a permanent self in an environment, an impermanent environment that does not support it. And that's where all the stress and suffering comes from attempting to do that. So as we develop the Dhamma, Resting in jhana meditation. Let me go back just a little bit. Every time in jhana meditation, we found we recognize that we're caught up in our feelings or our thoughts, or a thought attached to a feeling, an emotion. And in that moment, we've lost our mind. We've become distracted by that. And we take a breath. Unite our mind back in our body. We are now living our true self. We are, we are living our life as it is in that moment. At that moment, especially in the beginning of practice, there might not be any um, true mindfulness of what's actually occurring. But that provides the potential. A mind united in its body provides the potential to now develop excuse me, what that human being actually is. So it makes sense in, if you're using the jhana meditation as both the practical experience of impermanence and it's also a metaphor for, for impermanence in general, isn't it? As we're doing that, as we're developing our jhana meditation, increasing our concentration, ever developing the ability to unite our mind and our body and keep it here, even if it's just for a few moments, moments when distraction arises, we now have laid down the foundation to develop the entire Eightfold Path. And it is through the Eightfold Path that we're able to develop the understanding that the Buddha teaches here. When impermanence is understood, it uproots conceit, it uproots eye-making. That's the essence of the Dhamma. A fabricated mind is always stuck in the past or the future. And I think if we just look at ourselves and the way we've thought, at least until we've come up to the Dhamma, our minds are always in the past or always in the future. And often our, our future thoughts are motivated by our past occurrences and what we're holding in mind about our past, which is fabricated until we see it clearly. And I think everybody understands that, don't we? So it is by clinging to fabricated views of ourselves that are rooted in the past, even if it's two, two moments ago. My mind is now dis, disjoined from my body or disunited from my body, and it's, it's now in the future, but pressed into the future by those past thoughts. That's called conditioned thinking. And it, which is an easier way of saying that. So it's conditioned thinking that we're experiencing in this moment that distracts our mind out of our body, takes us out of what's occurring, or it, it, it fabricates or clouds our perception of what's occurring. And so we have no ability to actually live a human life simply because we're not here. There's a, there's a word for it. In fact, we created a phrase that we're stuck in our heads. But people really don't understand what that means. We do as Dhamma practitioners. Being stuck in your head, mean, it means that you're stuck in your fabrications. So the Buddha developed a way, this brilliant way, for each and every individual to recognize their own eye-making. You have to come and see for yourself. You have to come and see your own eye-making. Becky speaks of this brilliantly almost every class. 
once we recognize eye making and understand the, that process in the midst of an impermanent universe, not just an impermanent world, we can then uproot conceit. How do we uproot conceit? How do we recognize where it's coming? Take us back to three classes ago where we looked at the virtuous aspect of the Eightfold Path. It is by being mindful and well-concentrated while recognizing wrong speech, wrong action, and wrong livelihood that we're able to recognize the effects of, of ignorance within an impermanent environment and simply abandon that and develop right speech, right action, and right livelihood. So the Buddha found a very clear, and I should say, you know, uh, discovered more than found because it really was what he was, his, his great trek was to understand this. How can I find a way to recognize and abandon my eye making? And the brilliance of the Buddha was, the brilliance of Siddhartha Gautama was, I need to look at my own behavior because where else would it manifest? It doesn't manifest through other people or through events in the world. It doesn't manifest through through presidential elections or tsunamis or, or massive pandemics or a mean boss or an unhappy spouse. The essence of my ignorance will always manifest through my behavior. And doesn't that make sense? Because it's, it's, in, it's my behavior that is playing out what I'm holding in mind. And so if I've, if I've developed a measure of concentration and then understand the framework, where do I apply this concentration? And, and within the Dhamma, it's in our behavior. I have now gained the ability to self-regulate myself. I've gained the incredible ability to liberate myself from my own ignorance. And only I can do it. The Buddha can't do it. Jesus can't do it. Flip Wilson can't do it. I'm making reference to those who remember the devil made me do it. The only person that can liberate us, and this is where the great power came comes from, is through our own Dhamma practice. And that's where all the power in the world, all the power of me resides. It's through understanding the Dhamma and liberating myself from my own ignorance in relation to these three marks. So these three marks are the essence of the Dhamma. This is what we're looking at. We're looking at ourselves, a fabricated view of self, in an impermanent environment that we're hoping to make permanent, an impossible task, that results in me creating stress and suffering in my life. So that's my talk for today. Thank you. Um, oh, let's just go around. I'm going to just follow my screen as I usually do. Tim, how are you? I'm good, everybody. I'm going to just listen. It's good to see you this morning, Tim. David, good morning. Morning, John. The three marks, that's what we're looking to gain insight to. Yep. And before that insight, these three marks are really all suffering. It's our misunderstanding of impermanence. Therefore, we identify with things that we think we can control and therefore they're suffering. So this development of this practice is to give us clarity to be able to see the truth of it. And I just 
just love how you kind of structured because you're almost going backwards yeah. from dependent origination. And, you know, it, it, it's just, uh, uh, I like how you switch up how you teach this class. Uh, and uh, it's always a little bit different, but I, I always think that you have a, a, a master uh, reason why you're structuring it a little bit differently each time. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, David. You, you, you just human beings, we think that we can we can create a self, and, and that that's instilled in our environment that we can make a self. And the only thing we can be in the great liberation is simply to to be what we are as a human being. It doesn't mean we live life without any direction or even goals. We just don't take any of it personally. And then every moment of life is a liberating moment, isn't it? Thank you, David. Ram, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for this. Uh, one more time through here. Um, I was thinking about how when you get involved in, in, the, in the virtuous factors, you end up relaxing into this this impermanence it's not something that you're you're really fighting um, as a bit more understanding arises in you know how impermanent things really are um, you can sort of relax into that knowledge that oh, it's it's just impermanent you know, yeah. and it, it takes away a measure of um at least in my life it took away a measure of anxiety like a really yeah. basic anxiety that i had in my life which is another word for, for dukkha isn't it stress yeah yeah uh -huh. that's that's part of dukkha yep and uh you know, and as you're relaxing into, into that sense of impermanence, um, taking things personally becomes much harder to do. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it being on the path is uh, at a certain point. I mean, there, there's the beginning where, where things feel completely unsettled. Uh, and, and that produces more anxiety. And then you kind of go over the hump and um, things become easier because you're, you're not, you don't really have to try very hard. Yes, there is effort involved, but um, it becomes a relaxing into this understand mm. both the impermanence and and not taking things personally not heaping it onto yourself not glomming onto this um it's a wonderful feeling okay. thank you that was really brilliant adam good to see you good morning i'm not sure if my mic is working very well this morning uh, i hear you Glad you joined us. Mary, good morning.
Good morning, John. Um, I think I'll take noble silence. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, John. <clears throat> John, I thought that teaching was brilliant. I really, I really enjoyed, I jo enjoyed your lecture today. Thank you. Um, well, I have something I'd just like to read. I didn't write it, but it's your words. The self you think you are is the self that is prone to stress and unhappiness. It is the self born of a lack of understanding. No matter what theoretical or experiential knowledge the self acquires, it will never develop understanding. <clears throat> I just want to tell a, a little personal story of how the first time <clears throat> I really understood that it was possible to separate your ego from your true self. Because when I first started this, I thought that how, how do you do that? That's not possible. And um, I was going through a time where I was, I was having a lot of problems with my Utah family. And I was having a lot of stress. So I was meditating. And I was just kind of starting out. And one of the things that my ego personality one of the things that I thought of myself as was an extremely responsible person. And by that, <clears throat> my ego said, I'm so responsible that I can make everyone that I love happy. <laughs> and because I can do it. <clears throat> um, and when I was meditating during this time of, of great stress, and all of a sudden came over me this amazing realization with tears and everything that I was not responsible for what was happening in Utah. And I just kept saying it out loud. I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible. And that was my, that was my first glimpse of being able to see my ego and what it was doing to me. That's brilliant. And, and once you see that, just one, that doesn't mean that I awakened. It was just, a, it was an empathico moment. Yeah. Where when you see that you, you realize you have a, now you have something that you've experienced that now you're able to continue to move in the right direction yeah because you know what that direction is and and you had not to judge you but you had developed the dhamma as intended up until that point so that you were able to be aware of that exactly. moment exactly yep. and and now you just keep you just keep doing that yeah. you just yeah you, you just realize that the path is there to help you do that every day yeah that's it it won't always be so you know such an amazing thing and you know you won't be so emotional but you you see yourself doing it in small ways you do it and it's just like ron said ron described it beautifully yeah. too that 
that it's so freeing. You feel, you feel it's just so much easier to live your life. Yeah. And the fact that you can do it. Yeah. It's just the other thing that I, I love about the Dharma is that no one else can do it. Yeah. Um, I guess that kind of appeals to my sense of responsibility. <laughs> well, thank you, Becky. I think I think once an individual understands that, it appeals to every human being. It was it was a, it, I was a practicing Buddhist for maybe thirty years. No, not that long. Twenty years at least. I should probably figure it out one day before I actually came to the Buddhist Dhamma. And that entire time. There was nothing except, um, f- except just following along that would lead me to liberation. And when I finally realized what the Buddha taught, he was teaching me how to do it. Not to rely on some ritual or, or some magical mind-to-mind transmission of the Dhamma. I had to do the work. And I was so glad that here it is. You know, I mean, I was, I was a, 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 a contractor. So, I, you know, if I wanted to get something done, I had to... Bang a, bang a nail into a piece of wood. This is banging a nail into a piece of wood for me. And, any, and then I discovered that any human being can do this. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And that's exactly what Siddhartha realized when he awakened. If he, if he could do it, anybody can. And so that's when he started teaching. <laughs> and, it, and it's still here today. That's the other remarkable thing. It's just as effective today as it was 2,600 years ago. So. Absolutely. Thank you, Becky. Thank Good morning, you, Anthony. Morning. I enjoyed reading um, the uh, chapter today, and um, felt like poignant for me where I'm at right now because I'm not done with the law, but I'm not in mental health yet. I'm in this sort of a weird place, and sometimes I feel like um, an association to wanting to get back into the law, and then I realize that um, it's a it's a concept of myself because it's um, something that I could be maintaining because change is hard and stagnation is driven by fear and worry, you know, and I, so I have to go through this questioning process when somebody wants me to do something where I say, is this an effort to hang on to something or to move towards something? Because if I want to hang on, then it's the wrong reason to do it. Um, like say, for example, if they want me to, um, do a seminar or something, if I'm not doing it for the right reasons, then I shouldn't do it. Mm. Um, you know, and kind of the, the pandemic has kind of made it easier for me to stay in the law because I was able to keep cases. I thought I'd be giving up because I don't have to go to court. (laughs) So it keeps me in and, and because I'm not quite established yet in the mental health field, it's comforting to know that I'm included in something, but I have to constantly question the reasons. And I didn't expect that that would happen. I thought it would be more of a clean break, but I think my concept of self was so embedded in this one profession that it's just hard to change. And change is hard, but without change, there's no growth. You know, so it's, um, your, your chapter made me realize that when I read it, that, you know, it's that I'm the process I'm going through is a good one. Yeah. It's good. There are reasons for me to stay in, in, in the law because my money is one. Um, 
you know, and, and, and the fact that I don't have a career yet in mental health is another reason, but there are also reasons not to get to not to do certain things. Um, just because my ego self tells me I should. Mm-hmm. So it's an, interesting, it's an interesting time and this chapter was perfect for that. Yeah. So I thank you for that. And I, and I like the way that you, you gave the, um, you gave, you sort of gave away the keys to the whole thing when you said, you know, when you, when you find yourself caught up in this concept of self, just look at your associations and ask yourself, is this, is this association leading me down uh, a, a, an appropriate path. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that last, Anthony. And I'll comment on two things you said. The uh, it it is also through we can we can understand what's wrong with us by looking at our behavior, but we can also understand where we're creating stress and suffering in our lives by looking at our associations. An underlying theme throughout the Buddha's Dhamma is to is to choose our associations wisely. Because an association is another word for I'm, I'm establishing a view of myself within this particular group or ideology, and once we do that, we're we're um, we're charged with maintaining that view. So it's very very difficult, and it doesn't mean we should turn our our backs on uh, on people, but we should be very careful how we associate ourselves. Um, an association doesn't necessarily mean that we have a conversation with someone but that we're creating an identity or even a group identity uh, with, with that association. But you mentioned something else, Anthony. There's, there's nothing wrong with doing something for, for money. That's not anti-Dhamma. It's, it's that we, what we're doing for money to make a living, to support ourselves and our family, uh, that we don't take it personally, that we don't create an identity over that. Uh, but the, the Buddha went out and uh, made a living every day. It was just a different way of doing it. He got up off his meditation cushion and he walked into the nearest town with a bowl in his hand. And it was custom that, that uh, townsfolks would fill up his bowl. He also did it when he needed clothes. He'd look for rags. And uh, when he needed medicine, he'd look for herbs. So he didn't leave, leave, live a completely austere life. Um, and we're not expected to either. We just, but the Buddha, when, when his bowl was, uh, when he came back with a rather meager bowl, he didn't take that personally either. So when we come back at the end of a hard work day and there's not much in our wallet, we don't take that personally either. We do the best we can within the world, but from the point of view of right view, not from the point of view of me in the world. It's quite a different view, isn't it? Thank you, Anthony. You're welcome. Uh, I can't see who this is right here. I'm sorry, I can't read that name and I don't have my goggles. Starts with a B. It's Brett. Brett. Oh. <laughs> okay, how are you, Brett? Good, how are you doing? Good. Uh, good to be here. Um, thank you for your teaching. Um, we're hearing a lot of... Uh, Great things from everybody, everybody this morning, and um, just uh, to not be able to identify with your thoughts and feelings, I guess, and emotions, and uh, not attached to them. But that's a great thing. Um, I guess that's what I'm getting out of it. And uh, so um, I'll keep on listening, and it's good to be here this morning. I'm glad you joined us this morning, Brett. Steve, how are you? 
interviews. Good. Yeah, thank you. It's very interesting uh, chapter, interesting teaching, and uh, people make a lot of comments. But my intake from this chapter is very important to understand impermanence and uh, myself <coughs> because if you not understand impermanence and non-self, you create dukkha. Yep. And uh, what Buddha not teach what really um, you not exist, your emptiness and blah blah blah. He only teach one thing. You constantly change, not permanent. If you attach yeah. to your idea, identity, you create dukkha. And now you can see how it's nice tied to eightfold ways. You have to have right yeah. you. You have to have uh, right intensity. Have effort to understand this. You have to be mindfulness to see this, and it's so interconnected. It's so amazing. It's kind of like yesterday when I read chapter. It's so nice and clear understanding. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you, Steve. I mean, I. I, I I will say you're developing the Dhamma as it as intended, and making that that connection to through the eightfold path, the the practical application of the Dhamma to the to the conceptual aspects such as the three marks of existence and how developing the Dhamma brings us understanding of these things. It, it brings true insight, and we're going to get into that in a much more in depth way uh, in, the, in our Vipassana structure study that's. It's coming up in a few weeks. So, thank you, Steve. Good morning, Jen. They're still talking about your presentation on Thursday. I'll get out of here. <laughs> Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Um, I I've just been thinking about a um, couple just with with regard to Anatta and and the not self um, and how the inter the internal sense that we have, the, the strong internal sense that we have that um, these thoughts are mine or these this this is my husband or my children or my job or my body, that is a construct of the mind. Yep. And it's actually... I mean, not to get too far off topic, but there's this uh, brilliant neurologist that, uh, whose research I'm fascinated with. His name is V.S. Ramachandran, and he, one of the, his areas of research, he studies people that have experienced traumatic injury and how it affects their brain in order to help them. And one of his areas of research is in phantom limb syndrome, which is where individuals mm. have lost a limb and still... <clears throat> have an internal sense of the limb and he's been able to identify the regions of the brain that actually wow. respond to huh. body part and in being in in discovering that he's been able to help these individuals slowly reorient themselves to training their brain to understand that they no longer have this limb, which sounds bizarre, oh, but when you think about it in the context of of Anatta, you start to see how internal sense that you have is actually programmed. Yeah. And so 
if you if you see that, if you understand that, this internal sense that I have is just a construct of my mind. Yeah. Even though you're still feeling like that thing needs to be protected or that thing needs to be remain the same all the time. You have some a little tiny bit of relief, much like the feeling of waking up from a nightmare and, and when your mm. child parent says, No, that was just your mind, that was just your mind, you know, so you start to realize like this is just my mind doing this. Yeah. Um and once you start to really like like Ram said, kind of develop a uh, comfort level with that idea, you know, much like waking up from a nightmare now as an adult, you just kind of can laugh at it. Um, it just makes your, your day-to-day life so much more uh, peaceful and calm. Yeah. Just have to do this like a little anecdotal thing um, because I'm clearly developing a strong attachment to this dog that I'm fostering. And <laughs> I'm seeing as I, as I move through my day, oh, he's thinking about this dog. This dog is in my brain all the time. But as I, when I see that happening, I'm realizing, oh, this is my brain developing this conditioning dog. And, and it's, it's okay. It's not really, I don't have to make the dog perfect. I don't have to make sure the dog is able to be living in a house. You know, it's just a foster. We'll see what happens. It's just, you still see the process going on in your mind, but you're no longer taking it personally. So it's not, so I guess when I first started studying this, I really thought that that would just stop. It's not that that stops. It's that you're you're just not upset about it anymore. And you're just yeah. able to, you know, let it go, you know, carry it into the next moment. So that's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Yeah. And, and you know, there is, there is a, a, a fifth noble truth. It's really kind of an advanced <laughs> aspect of the Dharma. That, that craving and clinging for dogs is okay. Dogs. It's dogs. dogs, John. It's, just, it's no. It's like beyond chocolate cake, man. It is. It is. Yeah. But yeah, again, we you know we don't we don't talk about that except in advanced circles where we those of us. And you know when you have when you happen to have the world's greatest dog, it's easy to feel that way too. So, <laughs> Mateo, how are you this morning? It's good to see you. First of all, I apologize for everybody that arrived very late. No, 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 no. I mess up the time zone, and so glad you're here. <laughs> well, what, what I can say is, like, uh, yeah, the three marks of existence are are so easy to understand that we easily forget on our daily life. Yeah, it, it, it's it's paradox, but it's true. Like once we realize that, like we, we can say, oh, okay, this is this, this is that, this is Anika, this is Duka, this is Anatta. But every day we're so caught up with our impermanent life in our impermanent world that's like we don't realize and then of course like we suffer for that yeah it's easy and trivial it is so it's amazing and um, and thank you for the class because it's like to remind ourselves every day these three points because uh, uh, it make a huge difference yeah 
Yeah. Thank you, Mateo. The uh, when we encounter um, an event in our life that uh, sucks us in, that we that we recognize that we're we're entangled in the world again. Uh, the Buddha taught Bahia to say these simple words: "This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am." And it's an it's an instantaneous way. And take a breath too. <laughs> it's an instantaneous way to disentangle ourselves from any situation that's causing us stress. And as we develop the Dhamma, that, that becomes, uh, Ram kind of talked about this in, in uh, much more direct terms than I am. But whenever we find ourselves getting stressed, just remind yourself it has nothing to do with you. There's nothing personal in this world. Nothing can be taken personal. Even a punch in the nose is not personal, although it may seem that way. That's coming, you know, we have no control over other people. It might mean that there's a person, if they keep punching us in the nose, we don't want to associate with ourselves, with, with them anymore. But it's not personal. Even the hurt that we've caused ourselves is not personal because it's rooted in ignorance. It's rooted in a, in a misunderstanding of self. And that allows us to be very, very gentle with ourselves as we move through life saying, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. So, thank you all for really a magnificent class today. Um, Next week, we're going to uh, into um, week eight, which is dependent origination and the five clinging aggregates. And I haven't decided yet if I'm going to separate. I usually separate those two because there's a lot there. And I think I may take next week's chapter in two parts. In other words, what's today? Saturday. Tuesday, we'll look at dependent origination. And set next Saturday, we'll look at the five clinging aggregates. But maybe not. <laughs> you'll, you'll see in the newsletter. Um, and again, we're going to do our Vipassana structured study right after this. So uh, again, a wonderful class. We'll finish with Meta as we always do. Does anybody else have any questions or comments before we do Meta? Oh. Adam? Adam? Yeah, I just want to say, Dennis, blew my mind in the truest sense. <laughs> I agree. Wait. You know, the, 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 the self being a human person. Just deep and very cool. Thank you. Did you get a chance? Uh, did we hear from you? Uh, yeah, I was just listening. Yeah, oh, right, right, right. Okay. I'm a little behind on the reading, honestly, but. <laughs> Ramachandran, man, check him out. He's pretty cool. Good yeah, that, that was amazing. What, what, I mean, I'm sure that the doctor doesn't see it this way, but it, it, it's a way of saying because I, I'm clinging to this view of self with all my limbs. And so you continue manufacturing that feeling. It, and, and we do that, with, but we do that with things that we've, um, with uh, it, con concepts that we lose too, we cling to, don't we? Because we've, just as we've identified with my left leg, it's now missing, I've identified with this fabricated view. And when it seems to be gone, when it's amputated, I still cling to it. And so it creates stress. And it's so interesting that that the research that this gentleman is doing is something that the Buddha kind of figured out 2,600 yeah. years ago. It's yeah. by clinging to whether it's a physical object, my left leg or my right, whatever it might be, or this idea of me as the greatest charioteer in the world. It's still painful when it's amputated, when it's gone, doesn't it? When I'm no longer the greatest charioteer or the or the person with, with two good legs. So I... I, I What's really fascinating is because the, the way that, that he helped these individuals, it, it, you know, mm. he's, not teaching, he's not teaching the Dhamma. He's, he's just, but he's also not, you know, all of us, when we, when, 
our views of an arm, right, is substantiated by an actual arm. And it's substantiated yeah. other people seeing that arm and, and reinforcing that that arm is mine. And so rather than treating these individuals like they're crazy because they're still feeling pain in their limb, he creates situations where it, it makes them, it makes it appear to them and to their minds that they have a limb. Yeah. So that, that he, so they can slowly and gently, you know, and this is where the, the idea of gentleness in the Dhamma slowly and gently let go of the idea of the limb. Yeah. So, you know, that helped me, that helps me when I think about, you know, you initially, we were talking about this in Thursday class, when you initially start to recognize your own clinging, your, your mind jumps to, well, now I have to, I have to let go of everything that I'm clinging to, yeah. you know, to let go of all the things that I care about. No, that's like cutting off your limb. You don't, you don't just yeah. have to let go of identifying with those things. And, and so it's a more gentler kind of realization that, you know, the idea mm. Me is a construct of my mind and therefore not something I need to be getting worked up about. Yeah. Taken personally. Right. Thank you, Jen. Again, it was brilliant. Um, we'll finish with uh, with Meta as we always do. So again, find your relaxed meditative posture. Take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com.
Thank you. Peace.